Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of the podcast, dude. My name is Aaron Dowd, and I help people make podcasts. And today's episode is going to be an introduction to audio plugins for post-production. So my goal for this episode is to give you an introduction on how to use audio plugins to improve the quality of your audio files. So I'll be honest with you guys. Plugins, they used to confuse me. They used to scare me. I used to be like, I knew the concept. I was like, okay, this is a thing you can use. And like, I know there's EQs and compressors and you can kind of do things with them to make the audio sound good. But like, there's so many knobs and little switches. I had a ton of questions about plugins. You know, which ones were good? How many should I use? Uh, was Is there a right way or a wrong way to use them? Uh, what about those plugins that all the professional mixers have? Are like, do I have to get those? Or like the ones that come with my programs, are those good enough? Are the stock plugins good enough? So these are some of the questions that I'm going to answer today. This is what I want to walk you guys through. I, I also want to talk about a couple of concepts that were also really confusing to me when I first got, start, got started, and even up until recently. Signal flow and gain staging. So I bet there's a chance that a lot of you have heard of either signal flow or gain staging before, but you don't really grasp the concept. So I want to just give you a, a real simple explanation of what those things are and and you know why you need to know what they are. And, and basically, I'm going to break those down into really simple, understandable terms. So really, my goal, I want to talk about how to make your audio sound good with the stock plugins that come with nearly every editing program. So yeah, welcome to episode 26 of the podcast, dude. Let's do a show. Well, I'm going to do a show. You guys are going to listen to a show. We're in this together. All right. Welcome back. I don't know why I say welcome back. It's not like you went anywhere. Episode 26 of the podcast, dude. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me this week. I really appreciate you. So the goal of this episode, I said... We want to make recordings that sound great. And the quality of your audio, it's going to depend on a lot of factors, including the microphone you use, the room you record in, the interface or audio device you use to create the recording, the file type and bit depth that your micro interface is capable of recording. There's a lot of different factors that go into it. But the goal is to get, goal is to get good audio. So I want to start off by talking about microphone because this is, this is where you capture the sound, right? For most people... I recommend getting a dynamic microphone and recording with an interface that is capable of recording 24-bit audio. And most modern USB or Thunderbolt interfaces are capable of recording 24-bit audio. Most of the USB microphones that I've checked out, a lot of them, Rode Podcaster, Blue Yeti, all these record in 16-bit, which is still okay. You just have to be a little bit more careful when you're setting your input gain levels to make sure that the audio levels that you're recording not too loud, not too quiet. So 24-bit is better than 16-bit because it has it has a, a broader dynamic range. So even if you record at quieter levels, your signal will still be cleaner when you add more gain to it later in post-production. So the bottom line here, just wanted to cover this. Bottom line, if you can, if you're looking at buying gear, then buy an audio interface or a USB microphone that can record in 24-bit if you have the option and then record in 24-bit audio. The noise floor will be lower 
in recordings made in, in 24-bit. And if you guys want to, if you want to read a more in-depth explanation about bit depth and other nerdy things like that, I'll include a link in the show notes to a great article. Uh, you can find the show notes at thepodcastdude.com slash 26. Okay, first off, starting off, I want to talk about signal flow and gauge, gain staging. So I told you guys at the beginning of the show that I was going to going to give you a, a real a real quick overlook of this. So I used to hear t- people talk about signal flow and gain staging, and I had no idea what they meant. I assumed that it was some fancy scientific term that only real audio engineers understood, some kind of magic thing that would be super complicated and would make my my audio files sound better, you know, like sound like the pros, the recordings I hear on the radio. And the, here's the good news. The good news is that it's not actually that complicated. There's there's nothing super crazy or complicated going on here. The The concept of signal flow, this is just the path that your audio takes from the beginning, right now where I'm talking into a microphone, to the end when you export your stereo or mono master track out as an MP3 or a wave, depending on what you're going to use it as. So the path, the signal flow, it, it normally looks something like this. My voice goes into the microphone. It goes through a couple of plugins in my audio editing software. Then it goes through the master track or to the master track, and then it gets exported as an MP3. It's nothing crazy. The signal flow is just talking about you know, where it starts, what processing it goes through, and then how it ends up. Gain staging. Gain staging is about managing the levels of your audio as it passes through the different parts of the signal flow. And here's, here's the most important thing you need to know about, about gain staging. What it really means is you want to avoid clipping at all costs. And you don't ever want your, your signal level, the, the audio level, the volume level of your recording to hit 0 dB, which is the ceiling. If you guys look in your audio editing software like Logic or GarageBand, You'll see these little meters where these little these little green bars come up. And if you get too close on GarageBand, it's left to right. If you get too close to the right, the, the green meter starts turning yellow and then red. If you hit the red, that means you're hitting 0 dB, which is the ceiling. That's what causes clipping and digital distortion. So that's what you want to avoid. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that because as your, as your signal is moving from your microphone through your plugins... You want to make sure that you're not ever adding too much gain and hitting that zero coming out of a plugin before it goes into another one. Okay, so let's use GarageBand, for example. Let's say you open up GarageBand. You create a track with your microphone selected as the input source. You hit record and you talk for a while. So now you've got an audio file in GarageBand. Then you can use some plugins. You can add some plugins to the track to affect that audio before you export it as an MP3 file. So in this case, in this episode, I want to focus mainly on how we can affect the audio with plugins after we record a track and before we export it. Okay, so here's something you need to know before we start talking about plugins. In almost every editing program, in the the digital audio workstations like GarageBand and Logic and Audition and Pro Tools, the audio goes through the plugins on its track from top to bottom. So let me go a little bit deeper. So you start with the raw recording. This is the, the audio file that you got from your microphone. The audio from that recording goes through the first plugin that's on its track. So 
usually the first plugin is the one on the top. And then it goes in, into the next one, gets processed through that plugin, goes into the next one. And then after that, goes into the next one. And it goes through every subsequent plugin until there are, are no more plugins left on the track. After that, it gets sent out. It has an output, usually goes straight to the master track. And the master track is what you hear. And, let, you know, assuming you don't have any of your tracks soloed, the master track is what you hear when you plug your headphones in and you're listening back. That's, and what you hear is going to, when you export the master track, that's what's going to be in your MP3 file. So you can adjust the gain being sent from the individual track with a little fader knob. In Logic, this is like a vertical slider that looks kind of like one of those old physical mixers that you do live sound on. And in GarageBand, it's just a left and right little circle inside of the, the audio meters. So you can adjust the, the level, the signal level coming out of a track before it gets sent to the master track. Okay, so once again, raw audio goes through any plugins on its track, one at a time, before getting sent to the master track, where it goes through any plugins that are on the master track before you hear it in your headphones. So Corey Miller had actually asked earlier, said, should I, should I put the plugins on the individual tracks or should I put the plugins on the master track? Is it okay to put plugins on a master track? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'm going to talk a little more about that a little bit later. But there are some plugins that are actually more appropriate for a master track and then some plugins that are usually put on an individual track. I've got a little workflow that if you're using Logic or Audition, you might be interested in. But let's, uh, let's keep moving on. I, I want to I wanna talk, talk about plugins more. So this is, kind of, this is part one, and I've got three parts here. Part one is what are audio plugins? And then part two is how do I use plugins? And then part three is which plugins do I need to learn? Which plugins do I need to focus on? And I've got a bunch of questions in here that I'm going to answer. So I'm excited. Got a lot of good stuff for you guys. Okay, part one. What are audio plugins? Okay, so I actually looked this up because I wanted to get a good definition. The, the technical definition. I've got both a technical definition and a normal person's definition. Technical definition from Wikipedia. An audio plugin in computer software is a, is a mini programmer app that can add or enhance audio-related functionality in a computer program. They're talking about audio editing software right here. Such functionality may include dig digital signal processing or sound synth synthesis. That's like synthesizers, but we're not talking about synthesizer plugins. Not relevant. Audio plugins usually provide their own user interface, which often contains graphical user interface widgets that can be used to control and visualize the plugin's audio parameters. So I know for most of you guys, that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. That's, that's fine. If I would have read that a year ago, six months ago, I would have been like, huh, what? Okay, so here's the explanation. Here's my explanation. Back in the day, recording studios used to have these big hardware boxes to affect the way audio recordings sound. So they would record they would record someone singing or a band playing. They would record that audio from a microphone onto some tape. And then they would run the audio from that tape machine out to a hardware unit that changed the way it sounded in some way. And then they run it back into another tape. And that would be what you would end up hearing on the radio or hearing on a cassette tape or hearing on a vinyl. A vinyl? 
on a vinyl record, <laughs> rather. So they had a bunch of different they had a bunch of these different boxes that would change and shape the way that audio sounded. There was an equalizer box to change the balance of the frequencies. You know, if you had too much bass, you'd turn a knob and you'd reduce reduce the bass. If you wanted more treble or high end brightness, you'd turn a knob and you'd get more brightness or more treble in a in a recording. If you wanted to reduce the volume of the louder parts of your recording and increase the volume of the quieter parts, you'd use a compressor. And and there's so many others. Those are just a few examples of the hardware units that audio plugins have replaced. The good news is that you don't have to buy and keep these big hardware units anymore to change and enhance the way that your audio sounds. Programmers have emulated the effects that you could get from using those big boxes, and they've turned them into mini programs that run inside of digital audio workstations like GarageBand, Logic Pro, Ableton, Audition, and Pro Tools. So this is awesome. This is freaking awesome. We have access to software versions of hardware that used to cost tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, let's compare here. A copy of Logic is $200. GarageBand is free or $15. And you can lease, an addition, you can lease, lease a copy of Adobe Audition for $20 a month. We have access to some really incredible audio tools that used to cost tons and tons of money. This is really amazing. All right, so let's get into let's get into talking about some of the common plugins, the stock plugins that come with these programs and how you can use them to enhance your audio quality. So part 2, how do I use these plugins? Well, first you got to add the plugin to the track. So in GarageBand, you click on the track that you want to add plugins to. You can go up to the menu bar at the top of the screen and select View. You'll see a drop-down menu, then you click on Show Smart Controls. Uh, I believe the keyboard shortcut for that is B. I would recommend using keyboard shortcuts for everything. So you'll see, you'll see a little control window pop up from the bottom of the, the screen. You'll click on the I button on the left of that control window. It'll be right next to a button that says Master. So if you look down a little bit, you'll see an arrow next to some text that says Plugins. So you click on that. And then you can click in an empty slot to add a plugin. You'll see a little pop-up window with a bunch of different plugins in there. So what else here? Okay, and yeah, and if you click on the master button in that window, then you'll see uh, you'll see the plugins that are on the master track. So then you can add some or take them off, whatever you want to do. Okay, in Logic Pro X, if you want to add plugins to tracks in Logic Pro X, you can do this by going up to the view menu and selecting show mixer, or you can just hit X on your keyboard. That's how I do it. And from there, you'll see these vertical channel strips in the mixer that correspond with each audio track that you have in the project. And there's a space kind of about halfway up, a space under input that has the text audio effects next to it, audio FX. And that's where you can click and add plugins for each track. Okay, so Corey Miller had asked earlier, I said he asked, is it better to add plugins to just single channel single channels, or is it okay to send similar sounds to a bus channel and add the plugins there? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is something really cool that I figured out a while back that's, that's awesome. So underneath the section on, the, on each track where the plugins are, you can also select the output for each track. And I don't think this is something you can do in the newer version of GarageBand, but it is something you can do in Logic and Audition, I believe, I'm not sure about Audacity because I really don't like Audacity. I don't use it. So something cool that I like to do is I set the, the output of every vocal track 
to a bus for, a, for additional processing. Because since the music tracks that we use in all the podcasts, they're usually pre-mixed and pre-mastered. They've already been processed, so I don't need to run them through any additional plugins. And if the, all the tracks, both the vocals and the music, if they were all going to the master track and I had plugins on the master track, then the plugins on the master track are going to affect the way that both the music sounds and the vocal tracks sound. And I don't want them to change the way that the, the music sounds. The music sounds fine by itself, doesn't need anything. So here's what I do. I set the output for all the vocal tracks to go to a bus, usually just bus one. And the bus is kind of like another track that sits between the tracks that I have sent to, to the bus and the master. So what I do is I put some plugins on the bus, usually things like a, a light de-esser, some light compression, and a limiter. So I'm doing the processing. I'm doing just some general processing on the bus before it gets sent to the master. And that way I don't have any, I don't have any plugins on the master track. And so it does not affect the music, which is also sent from a track to the master track. So I hope you guys are tracking with me there. All right. So those are those are kind of those are how to that's how to add plugins to your tracks. And it's going to be a little bit different if you're using different software, but the concept's going to be the same. So in part 3, which plugins do I need to learn? So the plugins that I use on every project, they're they're usually between 7 and 8. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but there are 7 or 8 plugins that I find myself reaching for for every project. This is gain EQ, compressor, noise gate, expander, deesser, and limiter. And I know that's a lot of plugins. <laughs> so I'm gonna break I'm gonna break it down and explain what they do and go over it one more time. And uh, the good news is a version of most of these plugins comes stock with most editing apps, with the exception of the expander plugin, which is Logic Pro X only, as far as I know. But you can get stock plugins that are similar to these in you know, GarageBand and Audition in Logic and in Pro Tools. Okay, so let's start off with the first one, the gain. The gain plugin. So the gain plugin is is actually just really, really simple. It just allows me to adjust the gain or the volume level of each track before it moves on to the other plugins. Why is that important? Well, if I have a track that was recorded with too much gain. Maybe the peaks of it hit negative three or negative five. It's just a little bit too hot. Then I can t- I can throw a gain plugin on that track as the very first track, very first plugin in the chain, and I can turn it down a few dBs. Turn it down to where the peaks are hitting, say negative twelve. And if I have a track that isn't quite loud enough, say someone only recorded at negative twenty, which is which is eight dBs below where I like to have the average input at, which is negative twelve. Then I can use the gain plugin and turn it up a little bit. I can boost it, boost it or cut it to get it at an average level of negative 12. Like I said, my goal is to get the loudest peaks of every track to around negative 16, negative 12 before sending it through the other plugins for processing. So that's a gain plugin. EQ plugin. The EQ plugin is a plugin that everyone should learn. It allows you to adjust things like bass, mid-range, and treble, and fix problems like harshness in the high end, those sharp S sounds that you'll hear sometimes, 
dull sounding tracks, tracks that sound muddy, usually that's caused by too much bass, too much low end, and other things like that. So I did a screencast called Intro to EQ in Logic Pro X that you should check out, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes at the Podcast Dude 26. EQ plugin, it's great. All right, compressor plugin. The compressor plugin allows me to reduce the dynamic volume of the track. It reduces the loudest parts of the track so I can turn the overall volume of the track up a little bit. And this way, the entire track is more even in volume, so you don't get as much sections. You don't get those sections that are really, really loud, and then you don't get sections that are super, super quiet. And People have to adjust the, the volume knobs on their car or in their headphones. That's annoying. You don't want them to have to do that. You want the track to be even and consistent. And I was thinking about talking about my default settings and going over some of the, some of the presets for the various settings that you have. But it, it's not really possible to give you a great default setting because every track is a little bit different. But I did record a screencast where I, where I go over each of the settings and what they do. So I highly encourage you guys to go check that out. Once again, I will include a link to that in the show notes. Podcastdude.com slash 26. Okay, noise gate. The noise gate plugin has a volume threshold that you can set so that anytime the volume of that track goes under that threshold the plugin will reduce the volume of the track to zero. Really, you can set it to be anything, but usually you just set it to like negative infinity. <laughs> so there's no more volume in that track. And I usually set the threshold for a noise gate around negative 32. But it kind of depends. And there's depending on the program you're using, there will be some different settings as things like how fast it attacks after the volume drops underneath, how long of a release there's, there's a few different things. So you should definitely watch a screencast about that too, and I'll include that in the show notes. I wanna, one other thing I want to say about the noise gate. Got to be a little bit careful with this one because if you're too aggressive with it, it'll cut off some of the quieter parts of someone talking. So, And I'm going to talk about order because the order that you put the plugins in actually, actually has quite a bit of an effect on how they affect the audio. <laughs> Number five, expander. So the expander works kind of like the opposite of a noise gate. You set a threshold and it boosts the signal above that threshold. So this plugin is it's it's pretty subtle, but it can help reduce the background noise as well. But it's only available for Logic as far as I know. And I'm going to include a link to a screenshot of my default settings for this plugin in the show notes just in case you have Logic and you want to use it on your tracks. Number 6, noise removal. Okay. Noise removal is not actually a plugin, but I got a question that I wanted to answer. Uh, someone had asked, does Logic Pro have a noise removal plugin similar to the one Audacity has? And yeah, Logic Pro comes stock with a plugin called Speech Enhancer, but this is a legacy plugin. So that means if you have Logic Pro 10, you'll actually have to hold down option while you're clicking on an empty plugin spot. And then you'll see this kind of hidden menu in the pop-up window that says legacy. And then you can find the Speech Enhancer plugin in there. And it's a great plugin for removing background noise. It does a really good job. It has a little slider that you can adjust the threshold. Uh, but you want to be careful not to set that threshold too low. Otherwise, it can cut off some of the speech, similar to the noise gate. I found that anywhere between negative 42 dB and negative 35 dB seems to be a pretty good setting for removing background noise. There are a couple other options in that plugin, Speech Enhancer. Uh, things like voice enhance 
I, I wouldn't use anything else in that plugin except the denoiser feature. Maybe I'll do a screencast about that sometimes, but you just have to trust me on that one. Okay, number seven, deesser. So the deesser works exactly like it sounds. It removes the harsh S sounds from a track. So you can tell this plugin what frequency range you want it to watch, and this is usually around the 5K frequency range, and it will compress the sound in that range when it crosses above a certain volume threshold. So this is especially useful if your track has those harsh S sounds that occasionally pop out. You'll know if you've ever heard a podcast where there were some really aggressive S's. Uh, it's, it's really annoying to hear. So a de can help with that. You want to be careful not to be too aggressive with this plugin uh, because too much de can make someone sound like they, they... It makes them sound unnatural, kind of like they have a cold. So, But a light setting. I'll include a link to a tutorial for that in the show notes as well. So limiter... The limiter is similar to a compressor, except you set you set a threshold, and then no audio gets above that threshold. So I throw the limiter on the master track, and this just makes sure that the loudest peaks of the audio do not hit that zero and clip and cause distortion. So I set this on the master track, just or the vocal, the what I call the vocal bus. So this is this is the bus, the track that all my other vocal tracks are routed to before they move on to the master track. Throw a limiter on as the very last plug-in in the plug-in chain to make sure that the audio never gets louder than negative 0.4. So this is right below zero, negative 0.4. So I've, and I've heard, I've read that for MP3s, you should set the, the maximum output at negative 0.8 but, or negative 0.4. It's kind of up in the air. A lot of people say different things. Somewhere somewhere below zero, but above one, if that makes sense. I should stop saying if that makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, email me and tell me I suck at this. I'm just kidding. Okay, let's get into some questions here. Do I need third-party plugins? Are these, you guys might have heard of these third-party plugins. Companies like Waves, Sonics, Isotope. I talk about these plugins a lot. And so I got some questions about this. You know, are the third-party plugins better than the stock plugins that come with the programs? Do I need the expensive plugins like the pros use to make my track sound good? You know, do I need those expensive plugins? The answer, I would say no, not really. I, I have to qualify that with there are some plugins that fix very specific problems or that can give your audio a very certain special kind of flavor. Most of the time for podcasts, you don't really need special plugins, third-party plugins. The ones that come with the the programs, the stock plugins are going to be fine. But there are a few third-party plugins that I've found that solve some very particular problems that, that really improve the way the audio sounds. Talked about these before, so I'm not going to go into too much depth, but Isotope RX what used to be RX4 is now RX5. This is a plugin suite that comes with three plugins that are fantastic for solving problems. Dialog Denoiser, which removes the background noise from a track, does a fantastic job. A declipper, and this plugin, if you are sent a track that already has a bunch of clipping on it and it sounds terrible right out the gate, you can throw a declipper on it and it can kind of fix a little bit of that clipping of that digital distortion. It's not going to solve a massively damaged, it's not going to fix a massively damaged file, but it can help. And then introduce new with Isotope 
RX5, and I'm still going to play around with this. It's a D-Reverb plugin. If you get a track that is recorded in a room that has a lot of echo in it, then you can reduce the amount of that echo with a D-Reverb plugin. So, like I said, I have not got a, I have not got to use this plugin yet. It's got some cool settings, so I'm going to have to figure that out and report back to you guys about how it, how it does. If it works, if it's easy to use. But the, R, the RX-5 plugin suite starts at $300. And I'd say it's, it's kind of up to you to decide if this is something you want to invest money in. Okay, so there's a couple plugins from a company called Waves, third-party plugins that I really like from them. I bought... I bought a what what they call the gold bundle, which is just a bunch of different plugins. And this has yeah, this has a really great deesser and a really great limiter in it. Uh and it usually goes on sale for $200. And it comes with a bunch of plugins that aren't really meant for podcasting. They're more for producing and mixing and mastering music. But I really like those two plugins. Sometimes they the individual plugins go on sale too. So keep your eyes open for the Waves deesser and the Waves L1 limiter, because they they have really, they work really well. Yeah, that's what I have to say about that. And then another another plugin set from Waves, the CLA, Chris Lord Alge, or Chris Lord Algae, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Famous mixer, did a bunch of, mixed a bunch of rock records you've probably heard of. He did a series of compressors called the, the bundles called CLA Classic Compressors. And it sells new for like 600 bucks, but it usually goes on sale too. Uh, but there's a compressor in that bundle called the CLA-3A that's modeled after a classic hardware compressor. And it's I love it. Like, it's my favorite thing in the world right now. It sounds really good. It's really simple. There's just two knobs. You just adjust them. And it just adds a really pleasing quality to the track. It's hard to describe, but it's great. If you ever see those, if you ever see the CLA-3 or the, the CLA Classic Compressor Bundle go on sale then I would advise picking that up. Like I said, <laughs> you don't need third-party plugins. Stock plugins are going to be fine for you, especially if you're just starting off. I'd wait, you know, wait a year or two and get familiar with the stock plugins and using them and doing some, you know, doing a lot of recording before you jump into the world of third-party plugins. So I wanted to answer another question I got about using third-party plugins in GarageBand. Yes, you can actually buy and use third-party plugins in GarageBand. It's just a little bit tricky, and I'm going to include a link in the show notes to a tutorial about, how, tutorial about how to set this up. But basically what happens is you need to download and install the plugin. That's pretty similar to any kind of software that you install on the Mac. Uh, and then you need to go into settings in your GarageBand, and you click the audio MIDI tab, and there'll be a little box, a little checkbox that says audio units. So you want to click that, and then GarageBand will scan your computer for audio units that are plugins, third-party plugins. And then they'll show up. You can just click and add them. So that's actually kind of cool. You can you can add quite a bit of functionality in GarageBand by using third-party plugins. Okay. So I got a question from Jason. Jason had asked, does the order of my plugins make a difference? If so, what order do you suggest putting them in? Yeah, the answer here is yes, actually. It kind of makes a big difference. But the order, I said before, the signal goes through the plugins, the plugin chain is how they call it, from top to bottom. So the first one, then the second one, the third one, the fourth one. And so it's not, it's not really changing a 
bunch of different things at the same time. It's changing. Each plugin changes the audio a little bit, and then it goes to the next plugin. gets changed a little bit more. And so the way that you stack them actually actually does have quite a bit of difference on the final output. So it depends on each track, but very often I find myself putting plugins on tracks in this order. Gain adjustment first, just to get the levels right. An expander to kind of reduce the background, the background noise just a little bit. And then an EQ, and this is where I adjust the, the balance of the sound. You know, do I need more bass? Do I need less bass? Do I need more high end? Do I need less high end? Are there any problems, any muddiness or sharp sounds that I need to kind of sculpt out with like a 2 or 3 dB cut? Uh, and then after the EQ, I throw a compressor on there just to even out the overall volume of the track. And then I do some noise removal because after I, you know, after I boost the overall volume of the track, the noise that's on that track is going to get a little bit louder too. So then I do some noise removal. And there are a bunch of different ways to do this. You can actually throw the noise removal right at the right at the beginning. You can you can put an EQ before a compressor and then another EQ after the compressor. So there's a bunch of different ways to do this. And it and it, it's one of those things that you kind of got to play around with and experiment and see what works for the track. Got a question about that that I want to talk about a little bit later too. Does it, you know, like does every track need plugins? That's a good question. So I'm going to answer that. Okay, so first I want to talk about the vocal bus or the master track. So depending on which program you're using, you may either have the ability to route all your vocal tracks to a bus, or you'll just have to put some plugins on the master track. If you're using Garage, the most recent version of GarageBand, you don't have bus. You don't have the bus option. So in this case, I'm going to just talk about this and, and call it the, the master track. This is the final track that everything's that's going to be exported, and that's what you'll hear when you listen to the MP3. That's what you hear coming out of your headphones when you listen. So I put these plugins on that track. I put a light deesser. I put a light compressor to do maybe three or four dBs of reduction and then additional gain. So I reduce the track by four dBs of volume, and then I boost it back up just so the dynamic range is a little bit not quite as broad. And then I throw a limiter. Limiter gets to be the final plug-in in the chain. So that's that's kind of the order that I do plugins. Like I said, it, it depends on each track. It depends. There's there's so many different ways that you can affect the quality of your of the audio track that you've recorded. But I've got a couple more questions about this that I want to do in the after show. Well, I want to do a quick recap before hitting the outro. So quick recap. Audio plugins can improve the quality of your audio and even fix some minor plugins, but they can't fix everything. You should try to get the best, cleanest recording at all times. And also avoid clipping as much as you can. This is really, really essential. Try to keep your gain levels under negative 60B until they get to the master track. And then you can add a light compressor and a limiter to the mastered buster track to get a few additional dbs of gain before you export the track don't be afraid to experiment with plugins they're not going to alter or damage your audio tracks the only (laughs) the only way it's a permanent change is if you export the file but you can always go back to the project and make adjustments later so trust your ears as well 
if you add a plugin or make a change to a setting in a plugin and it sounds bad, try to figure out why. And before you start adding plugins, think about and figure out what's wrong with the track. Identify the problems that you hear and use the appropriate plugins to fix them. Plugins are just tools. If it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. Stock plugins are perfectly fine and will work great for editing podcasts, but there are a few third-party plugins that you can buy to solve very specific problems like clipping and background noise. It's up to you to decide if you want to invest the money to have those plugins. Start by learning to use the EQ and compressor plugins. You'll find yourself using those two plugins most often when working with vocal recordings. All right, guys, that's the show for today. I want to thank you all for hanging out and listening. I really appreciate you showing up. Um, If you have any questions about plugins, if you have any questions, if you're running into any problems on your tracks and you're not sure what to do about it, if you want to, if you want to ask me about Logic, you know, maybe you're thinking about upgrading the Logic from GarageBand. I think you should just just do it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Feel free to reach out to me. You can find me at Aaron at thepodcastdude.com. I am at the Podcast Dude on Twitter. I want to read a review for you guys real quick. If you want to help me out, if you want to help at the show, you can go to iTunes and leave me a review. Or alternatively, what I should have said was thepodcastdude.com slash iTunes. That's what I meant to say. But I want to read a, a review real quick from Michael Roger, Rogers. Michael's name is spelled a little bit weird. It's like M-Y-K-L. I've never seen that before. But anyways, he says, Aaron's genuine delivery of awesome... Wait, here, hold on. <laughs> this is kind of tricky, man. You got me. Aaron's genuine delivery of awesome drops a podcasting knowledge like no one else out there. Thank you, sir. Uh, as a sound editor, I'm always interested in new ways to branch out and be more valuable. This podcast has proven invaluable in my pursuits to know more and get active in this rising industry. Well, I'm really glad it helped. I really appreciate that. Like I said, podcastdude.com slash iTunes. I'd love a review. I'd love some feedback. If you guys want to help out the show, if you guys want to take your podcast to the next level and meet some awesome sound engineers, join the Sean West community. We got some we got some great new engineers in here. I'm really, really excited. For the longest time, I was the only audio nerd. Not the only audio nerd, but one of the only like audio podcast nerds. And recently, some members have been joining, uh, Jason and a few others that are actual real-life audio engineers, which is they work in studios and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, that's so exciting to me. I got so many questions. Because I, I'd love to work in a studio. I would love to one day start my own recording studio and do music as well as podcasting. So I'm trying to learn. I'm figuring this stuff out as I go. But the Sean West community is a great place to meet people like this, meet people who are passionate about what they do, who are working hard to achieve their goals, who are like-minded, just like you, trying to achieve something, trying to put something out into the world that is awesome. And it's so great to be a part of a group of people that are encouraging and helpful and that'll share what they know and that'll, that'll tell you when you're screwing up, but in a nice way. You know, they're not going to be a jerk about it. They're going to keep you on track, hold you accountable for things. I cannot recommend the Sean West community enough. SeanWest.com slash community. Go check it out. Jason says, audio nerds unite. Yes. Yes. I'm with you, man. We got to start it. We got to start like a subgroup in here. Um, 
Don't be mad, Sean. Okay, if all this talk about audio plugins has your head kind of spinning, I'm going to make a product for you guys. I, I just told you in last episode, I believe, I'm working on a template for both Logic and GarageBand. And this is a template that's going to come with a couple of tracks already set up with plugins. All the plugins I talked about today set up with a way that I, uh, the kind of the default settings. And then not just that, but I'm going to record some screencast to walk you through why I set them up that way. And then I'm going to give you some examples where I drop some audio tracks in there. And then I say, okay, you know, for this track, I would adjust these plugins this way. And I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to help a lot of people out. I've got a lot of people asking about something like this. So I'm going to work on it this week. I'm hoping hoping to get it done before early spring. But I, I don't want to put a date on it. I, I probably should put a date on it just so I have some motivation. But really, I want to get this thing done. I want to get it shipped. I don't want to put it off. So I'm going to be working hard on that. If you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about plugins in general it's a lot of fun all right i got some questions i already have some questions to answer in the after show so stick around for that I'm gonna listen to some music i'll be right back guys don't go anywhere I wanted to read a couple things here. Brian McDaniel said, in the podcast with Aaron? I like that, man. I might change that, uh, might change my title to that. I'm just kidding. That's a joke for any of the Sean West podcast, uh, Sean West Network podcast listeners. There's a boat. We have, there's a boat. We have a show. Ben Tolson does a show called In the Boat with Ben. That's about entrepreneurship and being a parent and dealing with (laughs) that challenge is a great show in the podcast with Aaron. I like that. There's a boat. All right. Corey Miller had said something really great in the chat. He said, good points on starting with good audio. I've heard it's helpful to think about recording and editing in a similar way to taking photographs and editing them. The more you can do in the camera with positioning, exposure, aperture, and all that is better so you can do minimum editing and adjustments later on. That way you have as much of the naturalness as possible. That is a great analogy, Corey. Thank you for coming up with that. Thank you for thinking of that. And this actually flows right into a question that I had that was uh, related to this. The question was, does every track or project need plugins? And a, and a similar related question, can plugins fix every problem? And then um, Brian had asked, I'm hesitant to use too many plugins. What is the best balance of plugins that won't degrade the audio quality? So the answer to this is not every track needs 
plugins. Just like, you know, like Corey said, not every photo needs editing. If you can do, if you can do a great job, and I've heard, I've heard professional mixers, professional audio engineers that have been doing this stuff for decades, they say this all the time. You know, the best recording is the one that you can ship the way it is. So if you're like every track, every project doesn't need a plugin. Plugins are meant to either enhance a, a certain tonal quality of the audio or fix a problem. In most cases in podcasting, it's more about fixing a problem. You know, you don't don't ever need to add a bunch of reverb or echo to a track or do any kind of crazy effects on it. It's just people talking, right? You just want it to be clear. You want it to you want it to be easy to listen to. You want the volume to be consistent. You want the balance between the bass, the mid-range, and the high end to be relatively level so that you know, it doesn't sound like someone thumping bass in your ear the whole time, or you don't want people annoyed by the harsh S sounds. And can plugins fix every problem? No, they can, they can fix and improve a lot of problems. But if you go in your bathroom and you record, or if you're standing next, next to a, you know, an airliner with the jets running and you try to record, you like, you can't fix those kind of problems. Some problems are just too big. Got to focus on getting a good recording up front and then doing any editing, any post-production work with plugins to just enhance little subtle tweaks. Okay. What is the best balance of plugins that won't degrade the audio? Yeah, and, and here I've found something that I'm still playing around with is using a combination of... Okay, first off, I know that a lot of the times I got to do some kind of like very light noise reduction. Like right now there's an airliner going over my house. I don't know how loud it's going to be in the microphone, but like a a small, a light expander or the speech enhancer with the noise removal feature or Isotopes RX4 dialogue denoiser can just pull that background noise out a little bit. So you guys aren't focusing on it instead of what I'm saying. After that, a little bit of noise removal if the input gain levels are right, then I do any kind of EQ or compression to adjust the balance of the frequencies to try to make it a little bit more pleasing. And it's usually pretty subtle. And actually, the longer I do this, the more subtle my changes are. When I first started, I would, <laughs> I would, ima- I think I was imagining hearing all different kinds of problems, and I'd cut a few dB here, boost a few there. You know, I'd stack, I'd do an EQ, then I'd do a compressor, then I'd do another EQ, and then I'd do another compressor. <laughs> and sometimes that's fine, you know. I've, I've heard that for consistency, it's okay to stack two different compressors on top of each other, one after the other, and then just do a couple of dB of dynamic range reduction on each of them. And that's fine. Sometimes, sometimes that's what you need. If there's a, oh gosh, if there's a huge dynamic range, like if someone talks really quietly for one section... And then they like turn like get closer to the microphone or they turn their their volume knob up a bunch, the gain knob, then you you know, you might have to do a bunch of compression on that. So it's yeah, I would say it's just a trial and error. If anything, just focus on solving the problems that you're hearing. Don't assume that you can make it better. <laughs> just <laughs> like don't throw tracks on don't throw stuff on there just because that's what other people tell you to do. If it sounds good the way it is, if it sounds good raw, 
then leave it that way. Okay, Jason had asked, do you have a do you have this chain on for the stream feed we are hearing right now? That's actually a great question. Um, I do not. The plugins I can actually tell you guys, the plugins that I use for my podcast, it's fairly simple. The chain I'm using, the only plugin I have on right now is the uh the CLA compressor, the CLA 3A. And it's doing about um, maybe one to three decibels of gain reduction from the very loudest parts, and it's adding about five decibels of gain on the way out. And that's partially because my SM7B is kind of gain-hungry, and the 18i20 has just barely enough to power it. So, yeah, that's the only plug-in that you guys are hearing. Yeah, I I could take it off, but no, I shouldn't do that. I think it'll make a pop. The other plugins that I use on this track are a channel EQ, which is a little bit of boost on the high end, a little shelf up on the high end, and then a little bit of cut, looks like around 300 hertz, and then a little bit of cut around 2200 hertz as well. And then I have the RX4, RX5 dialog denoiser, just on a really light, light setting. And then through the CLA compressor, and then I have a limiter on my track, because the only other track on my podcast is my music track, which is already fine. It's already been processed. So basically, instead of putting the limiter on the master track, I just put it at the end of the the, the plug-in chain on my individual track. And that's it. That's what you guys hear every week. I tweak it a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm constantly like making little changes with EQ or maybe adding or taking away a de-esser. But... I I think most of the time I'm pretty happy with the way that I sound. When I first started, uh, you know, the first couple episodes, if you go back and listen, I was doing a lot more processing on my voice. I had like two or three EQs, a couple of compressors. I was just like, this just doesn't, doesn't sound right to me. Like I want it to sound really, really good. I think part of it was just nervousness about wanting to sound good as a guy who makes and edits podcasts for a living. So I think I was actually overdoing the plugins on my tracks. But I've started to adopt a mentality of less is more. You know, listen to a track. What what does it really need? What's really wrong with it? Okay, like maybe the the compressor could help smooth out the levels a little bit. So let's do a little bit of compression. You know, it maybe the track's just a little bit dull. So let me put um, like one or two dB shelf up on the t- up on the high end to brighten up the overall track. Yeah. So. Yep, channel EQ, noise removal, compressor, limiter. That's pretty much all on my uh, for my podcast. All right. Okay, got a great question from Corey Miller. Corey Miller had asked, "Do you or should you only use plugins that your editor mixer also has?" I have quite a few third-party plugins for Logic, and if I wanted to send off my music to a mixer or producer that doesn't have these plugins, I'd be out of luck. What's the best practice for using plugins when coordinating with other people? This is a great question, Corey. I hadn't considered this before the show. So let's say, I don't think this is going to be very common for most people doing podcasts. I think a lot of people, if they have a podcast editor, they're going to record a raw audio file and then just send that to the podcast editor. And then the podcast editor is going to be making adjustments. But this is actually kind of a cool question. I would say the best solution for this one is to 
apply the plugins to that track, and then bounce the track in place. So you can do this in almost uh, most of the... I know you use Logic, and I know you can do it in Logic. You right-click on the track, you can select Bounce in Place. And what it's going to do is basically apply what that plugin is doing to the audio and give you a new audio file that's been processed through your plugin chain. So then you want to turn off your, your plugins whenever you're done because basically you won't need them anymore. And this is actually something you can do if you're editing podcasts and you're on an old computer and you have a, you have a few plugins and it's eating up a lot of CPU. If it's kind of stressing your hard drive and your CPU, you can actually either freeze or bounce a track in place. And that will require less system resources because running audio through these plugins does take up system resources. So yeah, otherwise, you know, buy uh buy plugins for the people you're working with i'm just kidding shouldn't do that plugins can be kind of expensive they range from like you know 20 bucks to thousands of dollars depending on what you get all right last question jason jason asked i've heard you talking about a hardware processor you use uh the dbx 286 do you use that inserted as a plugin or do you run your signal through that on the way in that's a great question. And actually, the DBX286 is a hardware unit that works as both a, a, a microphone preamp, so it powers the microphone, takes a signal, runs it through some processing. It has, what does it have? Uh, it's got a drive knob. It's got a, basically got a compressor, a de-esser, not quite an EQ, but it's kind of like a low frequency and a high frequency enhancer, and then an expander and a gate all built in. So this... This this plug this DBX two eighty six is kind of like a plugin chain that you could insert in your track in your audio audio software, but it's a hardware box. So you plug your mic in one end, you talk, it does some processing, and then it sends your audio out to sends audio out from that that box after it's been processed to your audio interface, which then goes into your recording software. And I believe they actually made a what is it? No, they they made a classic compressor DBX one sixty. Yeah, they made a DBX one sixty, which is a very popular compressor. Um, yeah, I actually used to use it, but the DBX I have is actually the DBX two eighty six A, and I don't know if it sounds like crap compared to the the normal DBX two eighty six. There's two different models, and the one I have, it was either user error or I just didn't like the way that it sounds. I probably need to revisit it and change some settings. But there's so many settings on there, it's it's kind of tricky. Caleb Wojcik did a great video about setting up a, a 286A. Uh, not a 286A, a DBX286. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes, and I'll post that for you guys in the chat. But yeah, you can uh, you can run your signal through that before it, uh, before it hits your recording software, or you can use all those same plugins in your plugin chain after you record the audio. So I hope that answers your question. Cool. I think that's all the questions we got for today. Thanks, everyone, for showing up. I hope this was helpful. I will see you all next week, next time.